0: I went to a concert last night, Hillsong United. They're one of my favorite worship bands. And it was last night that I realized for sure, I am old. For sure, because I was there with people and uh, some of them are in their 20s, the majority of them were in their 20s. And about halfway through, I leaned over to my wife and said, my knees are really hurting because I wasn't in the chair. And then after three quarters of the way through, I was like, my back is really hurting. And then somewhere in the middle of that, I thought, man, it is so loud in here. And then I realize it's just I've reached that point where it's loud, my body hurts, and and that's you know you're old I think when you Google how to help your sore knees feel better, like it's not there's not like a specific injury it's just my knees hurt all the time, uh, so let's pray. And we are going to get into God's Word this morning. We're going to be in the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own a Bible, I would love for you to bring one of those up to me and say, hey, can I have this Bible, Pastor Ryan? And that would be a wonderful gift to send you home with God's Word. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for the way that you love us. I thank you for the way that you pursue us when we run from you. I thank you for the way that you died for me and for us in this room even though we weren't looking for you and you have brought us into your family and you've embraced us and you love us so much you'll meet us right where we are and you love us so much you won't leave us right where we are you'll pull us up from the muck open your word to our hearts this morning I pray in the name of your precious son Jesus amen there's a few stories that stick out to me in the Bible one of them happens At the end, at the end, at the end, after Jesus has died and after he rose again. And one of the cool things about growing up in an era where it wasn't quite as saturated with video screens is that I had to use my imagination. I had a bedtime until the 10th grade. I had to go to bed by 8.30 in the 10th grade. And I say that only because my mother's here, so I want to make her feel guilty for doing that to me. But she said I could stay up as long as I was reading. And I didn't like reading at that point. But it, when I did read, it gave me that sense of a picture. So I need you guys to picture with me today. Are you guys ready? Do you have your hats of imagination on? Okay, it's always on. So here we go. I want you to sit down, and it's a screen. We all see the same screen. It's, it's dark, and there are hills off to one side, and the sun is just coming up over the hills. And it's the sounds that we all know because we live here in the Gulf Coast. There's seagulls and there's the water crashing against the sand. And there's a boat that you see in the distance. And the camera swings around and pans in onto the boat. And all that we see on this boat are three men. And they're tired. They're exhausted. They're they're in their fishing clothes and they've been throwing their net out. And the camera then zooms in and it does one of those flybys like the camera's on a drone. And it rests right on the bow of the boat and you hear them talking and they're grumbling like fishermen do. Fishermen, they talk like sailors, and they're throwing out their net, and they're saying they can't believe it. They've been fishing all night. And Peter looks over at John and says, man, what are we doing back here? And then John looks over at Peter and says, we didn't know what else we should do. And all of a sudden, from the distance, the camera turns, and it shows the shore. And there's someone that we all know intuitively who it is. It's Jesus. And Jesus beckons them to come calls out to them and says, hey, throw your net on the other side. And Peter, he's, he's a thick-skulled man. He doesn't remember. He's not having the flashback yet. So he just picks up his net and he's like, who is this chump? We've been fishing all night. We're fishermen. Who is that guy? Fine, let's do it. And he throws it over. And in an instant, the net envelops fish. And in an instant, Peter had one of those moments, and in the movie screen, as I'm watching it, drinking my Diet Coke, eating my popcorn, hugging my wife, I see it all go down, the flashbacks start going, and Peter starts going back, wait a second, someone did this before to me. Wait, wait a second, that's Jesus! And it said that he just grabbed his clothes and jumped off of the boat. That's how you know he's the guy that never thinks. Because you don't do that, you don't grab clothes when you're gonna jump in the water. You take your clothes off so you can swim like a ninja. But Peter, Peter was so excited, he said, this is Jesus. I've done this before. So he grabs his clothes, throws them on, jumps in the water. And John goes, that idiot. We're only 100 yards. and starts going in. And Peter's swimming. He's clawing at the water. And he gets to the water's edge. And Jesus is there. And he's sitting there. And he's got his toes in the sand. And there's already a fire made. And the fish is crackling. Jesus already smelled like campfire. The fish already smelled delicious. And it was something that Jesus wanted to treasure with Peter, I believe. Peter walks up, and you have to remember that Jesus now had died, had been buried, and rose again. Jesus, like us, had no scars. Well, we'll have no scars. He'll have a few scars. He has scars here, here, and there. He'll have a scar here. But other than that, sin had been removed from Jesus' body. If he had receded hairline in his 30 years of life, it had now grown back because he had his resurrected body. That's why I praise God for my hair receding because I know I'll get it all back one day. But Peter sat with Jesus and Jesus would have looked a little different. And then John catches up and they sit around the fire just staring at their friend. And Jesus does what Jesus does best, gets right to the heart of the issue. He wanted to communicate one last thing to Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, with a piece of fish in one hand and his sandals now off and he was drying his clothes out over here on this rack and he said, Jesus, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. They were eating a few more bites. Jesus looking around, doing that Jesus thing that he does, and says, Peter, do you love me? At this point, Peter's confused. I just told this guy that I loved him. What do I say this? Yes, Lord, I love you. Okay, Peter, take care. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And then a third time, and it was at that third time, that a look of sadness came across Peter's face. He was sitting there across the fire and Jesus asked him the same question three times. And his face fell because he knew exactly what Jesus was doing. Because there's something else that Peter is very famous for doing three times, for denying Jesus. Not much earlier than that, Jesus, or Peter was posed with the question, Aren't you friends with Jesus? No, I'm not friends with Jesus. Don't you follow that Jesus? No, I don't follow that Jesus. And then the third time when he denied Jesus, the rooster crowed. And he had denied the one that he said he would die for three times. And now, sitting on a beach, Jesus is reversing this. Jesus is saying, I got you, Peter. You deny me three times? I'm going to show you how much I forgive you. I'm going to show you that even though you think you let me down irreparably, The power of my life is going to grip yours and change you forever. This was the good news for Peter. He had let down the Son of God. He had let down God in the flesh. And Jesus wanted to take him to that moment when he had denied him three times and let him know that even though you've denied me three times, even though you've failed me, it's not dependent on you. I'm reaching back into your life to give you a purpose and a calling. Don't go back to fishing. I've got something better planned. And that's where we pick up today in Colossians 1.3 because we're going to talk about this gospel, this radical good news. This is Paul talking to the Colossian church. This is Paul who he, talking to people he's never met, telling them, telling them what is important, what the core of the Christian faith is in light of the other things that people are believing. Verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now I love greetings. I think greetings are very important. I think greetings and endings are very important because it can shape the way a relationship goes. When you wake up in the morning, if you're married, what do you say to your spouse across the the pillow from you? Your breath stinks. Don't lie, turn over, roll over. It's Valentine's Day, so all the husbands are like, I love you, sweetheart, baby girl. I, I don't even try anymore. I mean, I try, but I fail. But greetings are very important. You, you know something's going well when you have a solid greeting. And you know when a greeting has gone terribly bad, right? I wonder what the greetings were like between Jesus and his friends. I wonder what the greetings will be like here on Valentine's Day. But we even know in church gatherings, greetings can be made, uh, they can be made or broken with a simple handshake. Because you've got the dead fish handshake, right? And some of you do that to me. I'm not trying to give you the dead fish. You're just such fast handshakers. You're like barracudas. So I don't have time to firm up my grip. So if you ever get me and I'm like this, don't judge my manliness. I'm still trying to shake your hand. But then you've also got the awkward hug, not hug thing, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you go to hug them and they go to shake your sternum. And then you, you go, oh no. And you shake their hand like this. And then I, the weirdest one of all for me is the, um, the cheek kiss when I'm not expecting it. Because I'm, I'm out of kiss range unless I'm permitting it because I'm six and a half feet tall. But sometimes when I go for a hug, especially if it's, if it's my older sisters in Christ and they love me, they, they want to show the affection, they do the grandma-aunt thing to me. But it's like at church and I'm holding my Bible and I didn't know like, oh, I was going to go for a handshake, but you want a hug? Okay, I'll go for a hug. And then it gets more awkward when it's like a little nibble-nibble kiss. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's fresh. It's Valentine's Day. We got this. <laughs> Greetings matter. When Paul is greeting this church, he's never met these people, and he wants to say, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of what God's doing in you and through you because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I want to tell you that I have heard some incredible things about your lives and what is going on. I've been so encouraged this last week because I've seen people in the, in the face of severe tragedy and difficult times stand up and grab on to the hem of Jesus' robe. Uh, this week, I've seen people who should not be happy, should not be joyful, should not be worry-free, be all of those things, even though their life, from the outside perspective, is probably at some, mo- some of the most difficult points it's ever been. I want to encourage you that I am so excited to hear of the things going on in God's family here at the chapel. Last night, when I was at the concert, someone checked in at the chapel, and uh, nobody was here. They checked in, saying that, Man, that dunk slam contest was like a bust or something. And they checked in at the chapel and they tagged two pictures of beer bottles. Now, I thought it was somebody like from the chapel checking in drinking beer, trying to say hi to me. But it turns out they were just over at the tavern and they checked in at the wrong place on Facebook. <laughs> but I liked, that, I liked that this week, as people are sharing stories, as people's lives are, are finding that place where they're hitting a hard time they're turning to God and they're turning to his power and that's what Paul is thanking the Colossian church for that they've turned to Jesus Christ over and over again because there was a lot of different teachings going around in the church at this point there was a teaching called Gnosticism which were basically that there were these mysteries about God and that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh he came spiritually and these other ways to view God and Paul wanted to tell them look the gospel of Jesus, the one that you heard from the beginning, that's the true gospel, don't let it go. And I'm so thankful that you've been pursuing this because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I, I always think about the Bible like that story of, of Peter and Jesus having breakfast. And I wonder why did Peter go back to fishing? Why, why did he walk with Jesus for three years, he saw Jesus do insane things? I've been teaching the youth group the last two weeks. This next week is my last week. And I've had the best time because we're doing storytelling and stuff. I'm, I'm telling them about demons are getting terrified. They're going home totally in the dark and freaking out outside. I love it. But I'm leading them to Jesus. I'm getting to Jesus. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is paint pictures of the Bible for them. Paint the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000 and how frustrating it must have been to be one of the disciples because all you do is you steal a kid's Barney lunchbox and then Jesus blesses it and then he gives you a basket full of bread that came from a kid's stolen lunchbox and then he says, now go give this out to 1,000 people and if you're the disciple, you're staring at the bread watching it multiply in your hand and the kids are like, whoa, that happened? Yes, that happened. Whoa, Jesus cast out demons? Yes. Jesus healed deaf people? Yeah, it was the weirdest way too. He stuck his fingers in their ears. God gave someone a wet willy to clear their ears out. God healed blind people? Yeah, sometimes he just prayed for them. Sometimes he spit in the mud, took the mud, and wiped it on their eyes. I don't know what he was thinking in that moment. I don't know if like Jesus is like, well, I'm God. I could do what I want. <laughs> Wash it off. And then he just goes home. He's like, did you see that one, Father? such a classic. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, what he's thinking. I mean, I'm guessing that there's purposes, and I've studied these passages. Why are you doing that? But this same Jesus, who Peter walked with, saw do these amazing things, healing the blind, healing the deaf, raising dead girls from death to life. And then Jesus dies, resurrects. They see him twice, and then they're like, okay, well, we saw him twice, and he's not around, so uh, let's just go back to our old life. But Paul, now years later, is showing us why Peter couldn't do that. Because the gospel of Jesus grips people in a way that nothing else can. The gospel means good news. If you're new to church life, that's our our junk drawer word. It means good news. It's a church word, so sometimes we throw it around and I forget to, to define it. But here's what I want us to think about. The reason Paul had heard of the Colossians' faith and love for others was because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This is something that has been done. And I think we... We mess things up in Christianity when we forget the tenses, the tenses of Christianity. So I just want to remind us for those of you who are newer to the chapel, when Jesus died on the cross, he saved us from, everyone say from, the penalty of sin. So that's the one that we Christians love. We don't like uh, the idea of hell, nobody likes hell, Um, but primarily just as a side note, heaven is not a place for people who are scared of hell, it's a place for people who love Jesus. So this this one though we remember this box yes we're saved from the penalty fell especially in the south because there's such an influence of the southern denominations so the hellfire brimstone thing is very very real and tangible here people are scared of God and Jesus died saved saved us from the penalty he saved us past tense done deal forever sealed because of him not because of us present tense Jesus is saving us is saving us present tense from the power of sin. He saved us from the penalty. He is saving us from the power currently, which is why some of us sin and some of us don't sin, and we can kind of see it go on in our lives, right? So let me give you an example. I taught my son recently about Romans chapter seven, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Romans chapter seven, Paul says, I know what I should do, and I can never do it. And I know what I shouldn't do, and I keep on doing it. The flesh and the spirit are battling within me. So I teach my seven-year-old this. Seven-year-olds are terrible theologians. So now here's what happens. At the end of the night, after he's disobeyed me, he's he's disobeyed his mom, he got in a fight with his spoon, he's there in bed, and I say, buddy, we're we're gonna pray, and tomorrow's gonna be a better day. And here's what my son said to me, no joke, this last week, daddy, I'm so sorry. It wasn't me that sinned. It was the sin in my mind that made me do it. And I'm thinking, you are so right, I don't like it. And he said, daddy, How do I, how do I let my spirit defeat the sin that my body wants to do? And I thought, how can I spank you after that? You're just doing what I said. You're believing Romans 7, and then you're saying, Daddy, how do I get freed from that? Well, here's what you do. First you say, I'm saved from the penalty, past tense, of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. There will be sin in our life until we die. And sin in our life, it's like a dragon that's been fatally wounded, but it's thrashing its tail, trying to claw and bite like an animal that knows it's about to die but wants to live. That's sin in our life. And God is saving us currently from that power. One day, future tense, we will be saved from the presence of sin. Sin will no longer be in our life at all. We will no longer have sinful inclinations. We will no longer be driven and drawn to sin. All of the effects of sin on creation will be wiped out. All of the effects of sin in our body, our mind, our spirit, our emotions will be gone. We will finally be god word, god God-focused, heaven-drill-minded people. Now here's what we do. So often we... We, we thank God that he died for the penalty, and we just leave that in the past of our Christian life. We say, when I was four, this happened. Yay, God, I don't want to burn. That sounds bad. And then we say, oh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And that's, that's that. And that's the Christian spectrum. And we forget that right now God is actively working in us to save us from, present tense, the power of sin in our lives. We all know that the power of sin is painful, Because we all have broken relationships. We all have areas in our life where we think, this is broken, this is not how life should work. But here's what we do oftentimes in that situation. We go to the latest self-help gurus. We go watch some videos on YouTube. We try to to pull up our own bootstraps and say, this week I'm gonna do this better. And it may last for a little while. It may last if, if you're the spouse that has anger issues, you say, this week I'm not gonna be angry at my spouse. You may last a week or two weeks, depending on how motivational Dr. Phil or Oprah were. But eventually, if you don't deal with the root issues that are making you angry, you're going to fall back into that pattern. And I think this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying, the reason I hear of your faith, the reason I hear of your love, is because, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul is affirming that the Colossian church has looked back at this first one. You are saved from the penalty of sin. And they've taken that reality into every phase of their Christian life. They've taken that reality that I'm saved from the penalty of sin into their present day life. And let me give you an example. Uh, my son, we're going to go with the same son. I love using him. I can't use him once he's a teenager, so I really got to abuse his stories right now. Because when he's a teenager, he'll get embarrassed to become a pastor's kid and go be rebellious. But right now, here's, here's what he does. He has been dying for a phone. He's seven. He's seven. I tell him, buddy, when I was seven, the only phone I had was a cord attached to a wall, and even that phone I couldn't use, and you wouldn't know how to dial it if I gave it to you. So he's like, Daddy, well, I just want a phone because all my bus friends have phones. I don't care what your bus friends are. I'm not their dad. You know that line that you said, I'd never say to my kids? I say every one of those lines to my kids. I'm not their parent. They can do what they want. Bad parents. So then he goes this week, and my mom's visiting. She, she walked him to the bus stop. And he goes over to his friend, Eric. Eric is like the chief of sinners at the bus stop, <laughs> other than my son. And he told my son, like, he, he wouldn't be friends with my son unless my son had a new phone to show him. So he tells Eric, my daddy and mommy bought me a brand new phone. And my mom's standing right there. So in my family, we have this thing where when somebody's lying, we say, hey, is that BT? It stands for butt talk, like you're telling stories. So my mom's standing there and i wasn't there otherwise i would have like brought the gospel law down on his life but my mom in front of his friends i'm pretty sure said uh that's not true and poor little jackson's heart melted because he wanted eric to like him so much so here's what happened the the present power of sin took the top place in his life for that little decision of wanting a phone because he forgot the past reality that all of the approval that he needs from God, from the person who matters most, from the person who's the most powerful, from the person for whom all of life was designed and for who our purposes exist. Jackson forgot for that moment that all of God's love was raining down on him, pouring down on him. And he thought for that half of a second, I need the love of this little boy named Eric more than I need the love of God. So I'm going to go to my functional savior, which is pretending I have a new phone so that Eric will love me and I'll feel the approval that I need. Now that's a seven-year-old version. We could fast forward this to a 35-year-old version, to a 40-year-old version, to a 65-year-old version, because it's always the same thing. When we start letting sin defeat us in the moment that we're in, it's always because we've forgotten something that Jesus did for us there, at the beginning, at the cross. Every time, every sin, whether you're lying, whether you're lusting, whether you're being greedy, whether you're being selfish, whether you're, you're blowing your anger and losing your temper, all of those sins, are rooted in you, forgetting who God is and what he did for you. So here's what we have to do. We have to constantly remind ourselves that the gospel is going to bear fruit in us. Let me read verse 5 again. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel will always bear fruit. The gospel will organically grow you from one spiritual degree of faithfulness to the next. I have, um, I have a fruit tree in my side yard. All the fruits are dead. And it's the weirdest thing, you guys. I'm, I know we always talk about the weather here. Literally, my leaves just fell off the tree, and next week it's 80 degrees. So I don't understand how fall exists. I don't even know if I had a fall. I don't even know if I had winter. I just feel like summer got chilly, and now it's summer again. Um, that's That's neither here nor there, because all my fruit trees dried, or died. My, My grapefruit trees, the fruit finally all hit the ground, they died. But one of the things that I was doing is, as these fruits were growing, I didn't know what kind of tree it was. So I thought, when they were small, I thought, surely I have a lime tree that the Lord hath blessed me with. So I cut off one of these limes, aka baby grapefruits. And when you try to eat a lime that's not a lime, it's bad news. It's like citric battery acid just going down your throat. I didn't know this. So I'm like, okay, not a lime, lesson learned. Next phase, maybe it's a giant Florida orange. I've heard this, I've seen the commercials. I could just stick the straw right in and just juice it out, I've seen this. So I I take this out, I'm like, maybe it's an orange, let's let it ripen, so I keep it in my fruit bowl. It turns a color that's orange-esque. So I thought, this could be good. I cut it open and I'm thinking, now is that an orange or a pink or a yellow? I can't quite tell. So I just took a bite of that. Once again, part two, battery acid down my intestines. So I'm like, okay, this is a grapefruit. I'm getting the picture now. Like, I'm, I'm not that dumb. I went to school twice or three times. So now they're grapefruits, but these things take forever to ripen. I saw the fruit last April. I didn't get a grapefruit until October. So whatever this little two-foot tree is doing, it needs to do it a little better and more efficiently. But then I read passages like this, where Paul says, you want to know how the gospel works? It's gr- it grows in you. It grows in you. And so often, we've talked about this here, we expect new Christians to just pop up and be perfectly ripened fruits. We expect somebody to say the sinner's prayer, and then all of their life is good. And it never works that way. I've never seen it once work that way. I've seen people say the prayer, come to Jesus, and pretend their life is all good. But that's not the same. That's not the same. If I, if I brought you to my house, and I had taken orange spray paint and spray painted all of my grapefruits orange, and put a little glitter spray paint on there It said, hey, would you like a beautiful tasty shimmery orange? You would know that it was fake. But too often we do that in our lives because we read passages that say be good, do good, try harder and we forget the fact that the passages before that always say Jesus did, Jesus loves, Jesus embraces you and is your identity. And that's what Paul is getting at here. What we need to get away from Is that version of Christianity where we hear a good sermon about not lusting, about not being angry, and not being greedy, and we go home and say, you know what? I'm going to look like I'm not angry, lusty, or greedy. So we go home, we get the Christian spray, and we spray it all over ourselves. And it looks weird. It looks like this on a Sunday. How are you doing? Great. Is your week going good? Great. Great week, great week, great week. Never mind the fact that my kid ran away from the house. Never mind the fact that I got a bill and I'm $10,000 behind on this. Never mind the fact that my spouse and I, uh, I'm not sure that we're not, we, it's not that we don't love each other. I, don't, I think I just actively hate them. Or I'm, I'm underwater on this. Because you know why? Because that person in us, we're forgetting that our approval and our identity, significance, worth, and value was secured for us. We forget that Jesus did it all. So on on our walk from Jesus paid it all to I've got to try harder, we get out our Christian spray and our downcast, angry, sad face. Hi, my name is Christian Carl. I'm just having a lovely day. I eat gluten-free. That's why my life is so good. I do CrossFit. Did I tell you to do CrossFit? No? Because that's all we do at CrossFit is tell people we have CrossFit. Life is great. I read my Bible once last week, twice today. Everyone loves me except my wife and kids, and my job I hate. And then we get to the end of our lives, and then we start to ask questions. Is this Jesus thing really worth it? Because sometimes I wonder what it will be like when the presence of sin is fully removed, when we are with Christ face to face. You guys, Christians are, we are weird people. We, collectively, me too, we are weird people. You know how I always do the worship pose thing? Why right, so I tell you guys how worship poses are just hilarious to me. So I was at a worship conference last night, a song, co- concert. So you've got the worship poses, right? You've got the touchdown worship pose. You've got the like, Rocky Balboa champion pose, the heartburn pose. You've got the carrying a large screen TV pose. You've got the I'm praying deeply pose. You've got this pose. I really want to raise my arms, but I was raised in a Baptist church pose. And then I got a new one last night. I never get new ones, because I've been around crazy Christians like myself forever, but I got a new one. Girl in front of me did this pose. It was like the spear, shake it off. Spear, shake it off. I kid you not, I could not even worship, I was just judging her, and I was sinning. I couldn't do it. I mean, it's some of my favorite songs that we've ever sung, Touch the Sky, Oceans. I was like, yeah, here comes my song, spear, shake it off. And I'm six foot six, so her spear is like right in front of my face, spear, shake it off. And all I kept thinking was Taylor Swift, shake it off, shake it off. And I thought, I'm supposed to be thinking about Jesus. I'm just judging this girl. I'm judging the band. I'm judging everyone around me. I'm just a big old judge. Because you know what I was forgetting and what I always forget? I'm forgetting the things that Jesus did on the cross. So what I'm doing is I'm forgetting that I'm not on the bema seat of judgment. I can't look into people's hearts despite the fact that I do it all the time wrongly. I can't look and say, ah, oh, this person, no, no. And I did it last night. I was judging. That guy did not love Jesus. Are you kidding me? That person did not love Jesus. They did an altar call where people were worshiping this whole night, and they come up and share the gospel. They have everyone say a prayer, and they say, everyone, raise your hands. Now, if you don't know this about me, I'm very observant, and my mind soaks most things in. So as they raise their hands to do the altar call, if, he said, and I, he said, if you've never accepted Jesus, raise your hand. If you've never done it. And then all of a sudden, people that wanted to do it are raising their hands. And this is me, Judgey McJudgerson. Hey. You were just singing with your hands up for the last 30 minutes. Wait, well, either you knew Jesus then or you didn't. Either that was fake worship or now you can finally start doing real worship. Maybe that's why you're doing shake it off because you weren't doing real worship before. I mean, it was bad. I, I literally had to repent when I got home last night. And I don't want to be that way. And unfortunately, I've passed this disease on to my wife. My wife walks out and she goes, You did it to me. I looked around, I knew what you were thinking. And I was like, here's what I did. I was like, <sniffs> what was I thinking? <laughs> it was the best concert of my life. All teeth. I forgot the reality that Jesus not only died for my sins. Jesus is not, not just my judge. He's died for the sins of all those who would call on his name by faith. And he is their judge. He is their king. He is their savior. He did not come to condemn, but to bring salvation. I forgot that. So then, the power of sin welled up in me, and then I put myself on God's beam seat of judgment, and said, "Well, God, if you're not going to come down and blast these fools with lightning, I'm going to do it." Caw-caw, caw-caw, caw-caw. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm very cynical. Like I'm sure that of 5,000 people, there's probably a few heathens in there because I was there. But I needed to remember that this power of sin in me, this critical. Judge, judgmental narrow view is because I was forgetting who Jesus is and what he did not for me but for them. So then in the very end it's uh, the presence. I, I love the idea of heaven. Uh, most people view heaven as like this really sad place where it's terrifying and it sounds terrifying because if you grew up in youth group they're like, oh, heaven's so nice. We're all free from sin. We're just up there in the clouds. If you go to a funeral nowadays, they're always like clouds and God sent them another, God took another angel home. And I'm like, okay, let's get this straight, people. People are not angels. Angels want to be people because we get to have a relationship with God that they don't. So God doesn't take another angel home. He takes one of his children home if you're in Christ. And, And that moment when I hear funerals go on and on and on about clouds and how nice, and they say, oh, they're just singing right now, they're singing, and the ones that are my favorite, you, I just know that they've got their wings and they've got a harp. Does that sound pleasant to anybody? Like, is that bringing anybody comfort? If, if somebody in my family died, Lord forbid, and, and someone at their funeral said, now they're in heaven, they're just playing music with the angels, and they did something like this, I don't know if I could handle it. I think I'd have to be standing up in the back and say, that's a lame heaven, sit down! Because I don't want to do that for 10,000 years. I don't want to do hardly anything for 10,000 years. Let alone play a harp and get rosy cheeks. But we've painted this picture of heaven. Not heaven with the removal of the presence of sin on a new heaven and new earth. As C.S. Lewis describes, it's like you can go further in and deeper in and there's no end to it. The exploration, the things that you do, the people that you can communicate with. I can't wait to get to heaven and ask some questions that I've got. Peter, why did you never shut up? Jesus, what was this like when you walked on water? Peter, when you took a step over the boat, did you think you were gonna stand or did you think you were gonna sink? David, were you scared at all when Goliath was coming at you? And then I wanna ask some of you guys questions because you know what happens in heaven? We walk through one of these magical waterfalls that washes off all of our sin and all of our fake Christian paint. So then we get to see who we really were. And then you guys are going to say to me on that day, you were really as bad as you said you were. And I'll say, yes, that's why I said it. But it's good news because that means Jesus died for more than I ever fathomed. And, and every time I get stuck and trapped in the power of sin, I can look back and say, no, this hope has been laid up for me. It's secured by Jesus. It happened at the cross. It's not me trying harder now that's going to finally make God happy with me. But, but I do know that but that's why it happens, that thing that happened at the worship concert thing last night. That's why people accept Jesus 50 times in some denominations, in some circles, because you're so terrified the last time was a fake time that you've got to just re-up one more time. And that's a symptom of thinking that salvation is dependent on how genuine you are. Here's the secret. We are all going to be very uh, disingenuous with God because we want to be our own saviors. We want to control our own destiny. And it's only at that point when we can finally say, I can't control squat. I need Jesus to pay for all that I am. I need Jesus to help me see that my lies, that my anger, they're rooted in my insecurities about myself because I haven't embraced who I am in Jesus. This is the the concept of what God has done already. He's already done it. It's called the already not yet. Everyone say already not yet. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We are children of God. If you're in Christ, you are a child of God, but our fullness in that has not yet been revealed. Ephesians 2.6 says this, And God raised us up with him and seated us, in Christ's people, with Jesus in the heavenly places. Your seat, your throne, where you're going to dwell is with God in his kingdom, ruling and reigning. That's why it's super easy for me, for the most part, to not covet things that are like wealthier things in this world. I used to love cars. I would love to get my hands on a Nissan GTR or like one of the old Skylines. I would love to get a Beamer, uh, the, the M3s. Oh man, those were my fave. And I used to just want them. And all of a sudden I realized one day, wait a second, my dad is the king of the universe. He owns everything I see And Jesus died and seats me with Jesus in the heavenly realm so that when God comes and wrecks this place and builds a new one, I'm a prince. All of a sudden, I went from saying, ooh, I want that, ooh, I want that, to now I say, like, that'll be mine one day. I got that. I don't need a little house in a subdivision. I want a house on a hill. I don't want to just be a viewing myself as like this person who will get just a meager amount because god says no you are an heir to my kingdom and i am your dad now this is where some of the prosperity preachers get it right but where they get it wrong is that they think that we get it in this life but we don't we get abundantly more in the next life and that's why i always tell people i'm so excited i cannot wait for that breath it's the breath exchange where i breathe out my last breath here and i breathe in my first breath and jesus is like what's up i love you I can't wait (sighs) my wife wailing in the back with tears of sadness because now she has to go marry a doctor (laughs) I wake up and Jesus is there we had to talk I said she can remarry as long as he loves Jesus more than me and I'm okay with that because I don't want some fool raising my kids and I asked her hey can I remarry And she said not a chance I'll come down and kill you from heaven okay I got this the rules are clear Double standards. Love you, Valentine's Day. I love you, you're my boo. I'm, I'm looking forward to that moment because finally in that moment, all of this struggle, the power of sin is removed and I get to stare at Jesus' hands, touch his hands, say, hey, can we go for a walk? I know there's going to be a cue for him to walk a line for him to walk along the crystal shores or whatever. But it's in that moment that finally, finally, all of this sin issue that plagues us will be removed It's in that moment that finally, finally we'll see us, see ourselves as we truly are and as God sees us. If you begin to see yourself as God sees you today, the power of sin will lose its grip on your life. If you begin to see yourself as God sees you, the power of sin will begin to lose its grip on your life. Because every sin is coming from a place where you are not believing who you truly are in Jesus, if indeed you are in him. So then God, and then Paul says at the end of this passage, Keep holding on to this grace in verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So if you're not, if you've been impacted by Jesus, if he's gripped you, grabbed you, melted your heart, if he's taken you from where you were and said, don't go back to that old life, I've got a new life for you like he did for Peter, here's what you have to do. It's the simplest thing in Christianity. You become his servant, and you tell other people about what Jesus has done. Sharing your faith is not knowing all the answers. Sharing your faith is not being able to answer everyone's question, because there are always more questions. And there was a point in my Christian life where as a pastor I tried to do that. If someone asked me a question, I'd go read like four books, and I'd go back to them with the answer, and they'd be like, what question did I ask? Sharing the Christian faith is a matter of sharing what God has done in you and through you And what's good about that is that if you get to that point where you get to share with somebody and you can't answer what God has done in you and through you and for you because of Jesus, that's when you need to step back and say, am I in Jesus? Have I been melted by his love for me, his one-way radical love that never lets me go? Because if you can't answer that question of what God has done in you, through you, and for you because of Jesus specifically, you might just be playing the game of religion. And as you know, I don't care for that game. It's my least favorite game. So, today, give it a try. This week, give it a try. Go tell somebody what God's been doing in you, through you, for you because of Jesus. How you're overcoming sin. How you've become a kinder person than you once were. How once you used to lie that you had a new shiny phone so that somebody would like you and now you no longer have to lie because even if the consequences are bad for your sins, you know that God's love will never let you go. We don't need to play at looking the part because we have a hope laid up up for us in heaven, a hope that we cannot ruin, a hope that we cannot take down, a hope that nobody else can steal from us. That is Jesus Christ and all he's accomplished on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. God, I thank you that you love me so much that you would never leave me where you found me. Lord, there are people in here who are crushed under the weight of sin in their lives they don't know why and they can't help but to be angry they can't help but to be self-centered they can't help but to lie they can't help but to try to get the approval of others because either they're afraid of punishment which you've paid for the ultimate punishment or they want the approval love and acceptance that only you can give them god i'm guilty of that trying to fill fill that void in my life with a hundred other lesser things Help us all this morning to turn to Jesus, the gospel that will grow, the gospel that Paul tells us will change us gradually, organically. The gospel, that good news, that we are saved from the penalty of sin, that we are being saved from the power of sin. In one glorious day, we will be saved from the presence of sin once and for all. We love you. In Jesus' name.